Hi, my name is Michelle, and I'm a real alcoholic. I became an alcoholic. Um, I played the victim card when I was young. Um, I was raped. My I lived on the streets with my little sister, and I thought God had just left me because why did all those things happen if God was real? Um, my drinking career lasted for 21 years, so I was 33 years old when I found the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was court-ordered. So when I worked the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, it taught me how to ask God every day when I woke up to keep me sober for today, to also let me look at my own character defects, and to be a better person today than I was yesterday. I still questioned God um, at the beginning of my sobriety because I had a lot of medical problems. I had a stroke. Um, early on and then I um, got hepatitis and almost died at three years sober. Um, at three years sober, I, my father finally um, came to the hospital and spoke to me for the first time and actually said he was proud of the person that I became. That was probably the first time that I honestly could see God working in my life and that people who had disowned me actually wanted me in their life again um, because I had finally gotten to a point where I was welcoming God in my life and getting rid of that person that I was just accustomed to. I'm married today. My children are no longer embarrassed by me. My entire family welcomes me in their home today and actually trusts me. There's always hope that life will fall into place. People will forgive you. Um, somebody will be willing to help you and everything you've lost, you can eventually earn back. Um, as long as you get out of the way and let God lead the path and not you leave your own path, um, God's will will be done. Man, how about that for a bumper video, right? Uh, we're going to have one of those each week of this short series. And, uh, and the tough thing is to come up and preach after that, right? Like, you don't want to follow that. Oh, my goodness. Love Michelle. Love her story. Really looking forward to this week, uh, this series. But I'll tell you what, um, as we move to the Word of God right now, my excitement over this series is not enough. Michelle's story, it's not enough. We got to have God move and we need him to speak. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we love you. and We rejoice in what you have done in Michelle's life. And, um, and as we turn towards a new series right now, we want to ask your blessing, your words, your presence, your power. Would you speak, Lord, please? And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So as we jump into this new series, let me start with this. Hi. My name's Rick, and I'm an addict to sin. Come on, I know some of you have been in the rooms. Hi, my name's Rick, and I'm an addict to sin. There you go. You can't turn around in this place without bumping into an addict. I know a lot of you have been in the room. So, uh, yes, I'll tell you what. We are doing, we're starting this week a short series on the 12 steps of AA. And some of you would be like, why, why, why are we doing that? Listen, uh, Redemption Chapel, we are invested in addiction recovery ministry. We've said for a while, Pastor Jared and I have said that we, we didn't go find it, it found us. Uh, some of it, I think, is just kind of how we run this church. We're kind of raw and down to earth. We're real. We're messy. We do messy. We talk about this place as not a country club, but a hospital. And so we do messiness. So I think uh, folks who are in recovery found us. And I remember earlier on uh, noticing uh, we have some shorter rows now, so our addicts all around the room. But uh, back in that time, they were all in one row. It was always right over there. 
And uh, I mentally I refer to that as skid row because I'm not right. <laughs> you know, I probably shouldn't have done that, but there it is. And anyway, uh, so that's part of it. I hope our addicts are encouraged through this ser- series. But really, I got to be honest, we're not doing it for the addicts. We're doing it for the rest of us. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to really glean from the, uh, what they have been learning uh, because I believe we are all addicts in one way or another. Let me get it and get at it this way. One of the surprising things about an addict, uh, an addict does drugs or alcohol knowing that it will hurt his or her life. Knowing it's hurting the life, still does it. And then what that does is that causes pain in the life. And so what the addict does is go right back to the alcohol to numb the pain caused by the alcohol. And that's a cycle of addiction. All right, well, take alcohol out of the picture and just put into that any kind of sin you deal with, right? Because when, when we hear that cycle, that sounds insane, doesn't it? That sounds crazy. Alcoholics Anonymous uh, uh, refers to it as, as God returning them to sanity. They refer to it as a disease for a reason. Yes, it's insane, but we can't stand in judgment of them because we do it too. Think of any sin that you tend to deal with. Let me get out of this way. Listen, you know sin hurts your life, right? Do you know sin hurts your life? Yeah, now knowing that, you'll no longer sin, right? Oops. You're the same way, aren't you? Knowing sin will hurt your life, you will sin. And when that causes pain in your life, you will most often go back to sin in order to numb the pain caused by sin. You're an addict too. You're just the same. We all are, myself included. So we're going to spend some time looking into the 12 steps of A. Let me tell you a story. Uh, some time ago, there was a guy named Bill Wilson, and he was an alcoholic. He was a stockbroker in New York. And, and Bill did many, many things trying to get clean. He could not get healthy, just kept failing over and over. Eventually, he came to faith in Jesus through a ministry called the Oxford Group. Now, the Oxford Group is a Christian ministry, evangelism, discipleship, took it real seriously. Bill came to faith through them, started to grow. Now, one of the things about the Oxford Group is they encouraged people that uh, whatever you deal with, go find people that deal with the same stuff and help them. And so Bill committed to helping other alcoholics recover. That was on his heart. One time, he was on a business trip to, of all places, Akron, Ohio. And while he was there, he was really tempted to drink again. And so he knew he had to talk to another alcoholic. So he contacted the Akron Oxford group and through them found uh, an alcoholic, a guy named Dr. Bob Smith. Dr. Smith was a renowned surgeon in the area, um, alcoholic himself, but really wasn't admitting it yet, wasn't really moving towards healing and all that, but they convinced Dr. Smith, yeah, just meet with him. He said, I'll give him 15 minutes. That's it. That meeting lasted for six hours. And it turns out that Dr. Smith was the first one that Wilson led to sobriety. And that became Bill W. and Dr. Bob, the two founders of AA. Started right here in Akron, Ohio in 19... 35. They put out uh, the book called Alcoholics Anonymous. That was in 1939. Uh, it's a big book, and so they call it the big book. They're bright like that, just like we call it the big room down the hall, like we're bright too, you know. So the big book, and then uh, their other big volume is uh, the 12 and 12, uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, and that came out in the 50s. 
Great book. Now, there were some differences that started to form between Alcoholics Anonymous and where they came out of, out of the Oxford group. Uh, AA, of course, is laser-focused on alcoholism. That was one difference, of course. And then uh, the only requirement to go and be a member of AA is a desire to stop drinking. That's it. And, and therefore, while the Oxford group was a very clear Christian ministry, uh, AA uh, started to open it up so that Catholics could come, gasp, and, and, uh, and then non-believers could come, and uh, skeptics and agnostics and anyone who wanted to heal from alcoholism. So that was a step. So what they did is AA started to talk about God. They always talked about God, but they would start to say, God, as we understand him. Right away, a lot of Christians, your shackles just went up, right? You're like, what is this ecumenical bull crap? Like, honey, get the pitchforks, get the torches, we're going to burn it down. Take a deep breath, right? In, hold it, hold it, let it out slow, okay? It's going to be okay. Uh, think of it this way. Uh, when you go to a hospital, you know most hospitals were started by Christians, right? They're Christian ministries. When you go into the ER, do they ask you to agree to their doctrinal statement before they treat you? They don't. They just don't. And, and, and that's similar to Redemption Chapel. So could you imagine if when somebody comes here because they're hurting and they, they think God might be part of it, but I don't really understand God, but, I, but can I come in? And we say, no, unless you sign off on our entire doctrinal statement, you're not allowed in this room. That's silly. And so instead, when they say, listen, I'm a mess, my life's a mess, I think God's a part of it, can I come to your church? We say, absolutely, please come. And in the process, they usually hear the gospel and come to faith, and we have awesome baptism stories. And that's what AA is doing. They say, come in, start working the steps, and in the process, people usually encounter God and meet him. So we're, we're okay with that approach. After all, their roots, remember, are in Christian ministry. And so if you read the big book, chapter four is addressed to the agnostic. The entire chapter is an appeal to the skeptic and the seeker to actually meet God, submit to God, turn your life over to God. And if you look in the 12 and 12, here's a quote from the, that book. It says, true humility and an open mind can lead us to faith. And every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. Amen? That's good stuff. In fact, the 12 and 12 is so good. As Pastor Jared and I were reading it, we were comparing notes. We were underlining like crazy. We've added that book now to our recommended reading list because I think it's good for any Christian, even if you're not an alcoholic. The foreword to the book acknowledges that this has been a huge blessing to many non-alcoholics. There's much weak. It was doing work inside me. I was growing a ton reading that book. It's good stuff. In any case, that's how AA got started. Uh, today, there are over 2 million members, 120,000 groups spread around 180 countries. And I'll tell you, the best group meets right here on Thursday nights. I'm completely biased. <laughs> I'm completely biased, but it is a great group. And they just celebrated their second anniversary so this was from Thursday night. I poked my head in there before I left the building, before they started their meeting, and they just celebrated their second anniversary, and those are my people, and I love them. 
Thanks, bud. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Great people. All right, well, let's uh, get into this series a little bit then. What we're doing is we're calling it, uh, we're doing 12 steps in four leaps. So what we're not going to do is take 12 weeks on 12 steps. But as we look at the 12 steps, they kind of group up, for our, in our opinion, into four kind of leaps. Uh, so we'll do 12 steps and four leaps. And here are those leaps. We're going to do give up, grow up, make up, help out, right? So the first one is give up. We'll talk about that today. That's steps one through three of the 12 steps of AA. And then grow up, steps four through seven. The third leap is uh, steps eight through 10, and that's make up. And then the last one is help out. And that's the fourth leap. It covers steps 11 and 12. Now, these are simply biblical principles that we're going to be talking about. They have the roots in the Bible. Uh, As I approach this series, I don't imagine that we are learning from AA, okay? What I think has happened is AA has learned from the Bible things that we've forgotten, and we're using the tool of the 12 steps of AA to jog our Christian memory to things that are in our own scriptures, and we'll look at that in a second. But before we do, let me give one important caution. Uh, this series will in no way be a replacement for recovery ministry, all right? So if you're an addict, or, or maybe like you know an addict, and some of you are like, my husband's a complete alcoholic. I just need to get him here for four weeks, and then he'll get sober and stay sober. All our addicts just laughed, because that won't work. The, the, there's no, you can't go to four sermons and get whole. You have to do the work of recovery. And and so what we have, and and yes, I hope, I hope that this series uh, encourages our recovering addicts. I hope it prompts some non-recovering addicts to get into recovery and start the work. That'd be awesome. And to that end, we have these cards called The Way Out. Bit of trivia, the book AA was uh, almost called The Way Out. Um, but so we, we've got these way out cards. And so you can, there's contact for our, re, our recovery ministry. See that email. But uh, there's stuff on how you can grow. And in the middle, it says AA. You got to do 90 meetings in 90 days. You got to find a home group. You got to get a sponsor. You got to start working the steps. Four sermons won't do it for you. Just won't, all right? So there's your caution. All right. Now, uh, to get into the first leap, If you remember the first leap, which covers the first three steps of AA, is give up. you got to give up. And here are those first three steps that covered this leap. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And third, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. As you look over that, you just heard the gospel message repackaged. Look at those three steps. Step one is about the depravity of man, that you're lost, you're a mess, you can't fix it, you're in trouble. Step two is that you need a solution outside yourself, you need somebody to save you, you need a savior, that's what step two is. And step three is to surrender to God. That's just solidly biblical. In fact, let me show it to you. We'll just spend our time working through those three steps. The first step is to, uh, I, I see it as the depravity of man. The depravity of man. And you see that in Romans chapter 7. 
Look at this passage and see if you can't relate to it. I know I can. Romans 7.18 says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will save me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Nothing good dwells in me. I know right and wrong. That's not my problem. My problem is that I keep trying to do right and I can't and I try not to do wrong and I do it anyway. Can you relate? That's, that's our situation. And so there's this war inside of me and I keep losing it. I keep losing it over and over. I'm a wretched man. I can't fix it. I need help. I have to give up. I have to give up. The 12 and 12 says it this way. It says, Many less desperate alcoholics tried AA but did not succeed because they could not make the admission of hopelessness. To come to that point where you know, I can't do it. I'm a mess. I give up. That's true of all of us, alcoholic or not. We're all pretending like we can handle this and we have to give up. So recently, Shannon started mentoring one of our addicts in recovery. Um, we, Shannon doesn't do a ton of one-on-one just as our church has grown. We've got a team of ladies that do great mentoring for the ladies. Uh, but for some reason, uh, Shannon just felt the Lord leading her heart and prodding her. And so Shannon said, dibs, I got this one. And uh, she, it has been so refreshing for her. So refreshing. And... Uh, she comes home and she's like, it's just so cool because there's no small talk. They like just jump right in because our addicts are oftentimes, there's like no bull crap. There's, there's no beating around the bush. They call it like it is, they call it rigorous honesty and they jump in and they're messy and they're open and, and Shannon's just like, this is so much fun, <laughs> right? This is so much fun. There's no pretense. There's no like, like, kind of putting on the Christian happy face. It's just honest and, and growth. It's so cool. It's so cool. So when I dropped by the uh, meeting the other night for the second anniversary, just poked my head in before they started. Uh, there was probably about five of us in a circle. And this lady that my wife was mentoring was there. And, uh, and we we're just talking about, so somehow winter came up. And like, uh, the, the farmers almanacted their witchcraft voodoo stuff. I don't know how they did this. And they, they figured out like this winter is going to be a particularly harsh. And so this woman that my wife is mentoring said, yeah, I'm looking forward to winter because I haven't seen winter in two years. Like one, one uh, I was down in Florida for one of them and the other I was incarcerated. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> now for us non-addicts, we go, we, we, whoa, she just blurted that out? She just said that? Right? But you understand, for the addicts in recovery, they say things like, hey, what part of I'm a mess did you not understand? Like, that's just not surprising, right? Some, listen, we have to give up. 
Some of you are addicted to gossip and you can't stop. You got to give up. Some of you are addicted to social media and you can't stop and you got to give up. Some of you are addicted to porn and you have to give up. Some of you are addicted to being critical, to being small, to being mean, and you've got to give up. Some of you are addicted to arguing over politics and you're not catching it. You're not helping anyone. It's hurting you and the rest of us, but you can't stop. You got to give up, right? You got to give up. And so God says, will you please give up? Will you replace your human willpower with my power, with God power? And we say, no. No, I think I can fix it, God. I think I can handle it. I, I, I'm going to give it more, one more try. I'm going to try harder this time. And God says, okay. Okay. And he lets us go until that point where we hit rock bottom, when we figure out I'm nothing but a mess, I can't fix it, I need something outside myself, I give up. Alcoholic or not, that's all of our situation. And so when we come to that place where we say, holy crap, God, I can't do it, I'm a mess, I need you, God says, now you're ready. Now you're ready. And so that kicks us then into the second step of Alcoholics Anonymous, where we find out we need a Savior. And Romans uh, got us there. We were in Romans 7, remember? And it ended with this verse right here. It said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then it goes on to answer the question. It says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's the solution. Who will set me free? Jesus. See, AA was built around a concept that you have to have a spiritual experience. And religion doesn't count. The big book's pretty clear about that over and over. That religion is not enough. And if we're not careful, what we do is we take Christianity, which was meant to be an answer to religion, and we turn it back into another religion. That's not it. Because religion is about what you do. Try harder. Willpower. And then we get to the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Like, when has your willpower worked for you before? Why do you think it's going to work this time? Maybe you need something outside of yourself. Maybe you need not your willpower, but a higher power, a greater power, and that is God. And so what Romans says is what you people do, is, and myself too, what we do is we just mess up over and over and over again. That's our part. God's part is he saves us. We don't save us. God saves us. Jesus did it. He came. He paid for it. He reconciles us to God, and he frees us. Jesus does it. And then, of course, there's this issue of filling that, that void in your heart. Blaise Pascal, a great French philosopher, mathematician, he said that in the heart of every man is a God-shaped void. 
can imagine that's like a round hole meant for God to fill. And what we do is we keep taking square pegs and trying to jam them into a round hole. And it never fulfills us. And it just messes us up. So let's say you take alcohol and I'm going to fill my heart with that. See, we're getting to a deeper problem beneath the disease now. The problem is the God-shaped void. And so we go, no, that's messing up my life. So I take that square peg out and I throw it away. You see, I still have a problem. I have an empty hole. And nature abhors a vacuum. And so it'll suck something else in there. It'll be sex or it'll be vanity. It'll be pride. It'll be something else. We'll fill that until, until I let God himself, who is made to fill that hole, fill that very hole. That's what we need. And so AA, by its nature, is very broad and welcoming because they're laser-focused on alcoholism. But I'm a pastor, and so I get to be a little bit more clear and specific. The answer is not God as we understand him. The answer is Jesus. Jesus came and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So yes, you need God in general, but the only way you get to him is through Jesus in specific, unless Jesus lied. Okay, so, so now we get back to that idea that Jesus is either everything or nothing, right? It's either true or it's not. And I know this is an uncomfortable truth for you to hear from me repeatedly, especially in our society today. But, but don't hate on me because Jesus said it, not me. Take it up with him. I'm just delivering the mail. Okay, like he said it. He's either true or he's not. And the big book says this. Again, it, God is either everything or he's nothing. Here it is. Look. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? See, Jesus is the only one who died to pay for your sin debt before God, to reconcile you to God on his he picked up the tab. He did it. That's Jesus. Probably shouldn't say pick up the tab during this series. Okay, edit that out uh, of the video. Okay, good. But you get the idea. Like Jesus paid for it all, okay? And you need God. And unless you have Jesus, you are separated from God. Now, don't misunderstand me. Can a non-Christian be nice? Absolutely. I go on social media, sometimes the non-Christians are nicer than the Christians, for crying out loud. Can a non-Christian be generous? Yes. Can a non-Christian lose weight? Yes. Can a non-Christian heal their marriage? Yes. Can a non-Christian get sober? Yeah. Yeah. But to be rightly related to God himself, to have that hole filled permanently, then you need Jesus. And until then, you are simply in your own power. And I would say, God, help you, but you've chosen otherwise. And so all I can say to you is, may you help you, and good luck with that. You got to have Jesus. You got to have God. And so uh, the big book, let me give you a quote from the big book here. And as I read it, uh, it says alcoholism in there, but substitute that word for whatever sin you wrestle with and lose over and over and over and over again. It says, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. 
But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, were not sufficient. They failed utterly. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how to find this power? That's almost what Romans just said, right? Romans answered, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And it answered, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So Jesus, on his account, he reconciled you to God, so now you are perfectly secure, and he freed you. Listen, before you come to Christ, you are a slave to sin. We all sin, but non-Christians have to. They have no choice. When you come to Christ, he frees you. Now you do not have to. You are no longer enslaved. You're free. That's huge. That's huge. So then how do we get in on that? Like, okay, Steps one, step two, great. Uh, I, I'm depraved. I, I need a savior. Okay, I, I hope for a savior. Jesus is a savior. How do I get in on that? And what step three says, the last of our first leap of give up, it says this. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Now, I left out the as we understood him part because I just told you that's Jesus. Were you not listening? Write it down. Write it down. All right? It starts with give up. You got to surrender. You got to give up. Give up is unconditional surrender. You know, when an army would surround a city, they, they would try to get terms, and sometimes the army would say, no, unconditional surrender or you're done. And with God, it's got to be unconditional surrender. There's no terms with God. Why would I want to have terms with God? Like I'm going to not fully give up. I'm just going to partially give up because I'm convinced that there's some areas of my life I can still run better than God. There's some areas where I'm still smarter than God. So I want terms. (laughs) No. No. It's unconditional, full surrender to God. How can you tell if you've surrendered or not? Let me give you... pulled these out of some stuff I studied a while back, tweaked them a little bit, but I think this might help. See, unsurrendered people are concerned with other people's sin. Surrendered people are distraught about their own sin. Unsurrendered people settle for religion without life change. Surrendered people are desperate for God to change them. Unsurrendered people believe they can fix their own lives. Surrendered people are hopeless apart from a savior. Unsurrendered people think God owes them stuff and they get ticked when he doesn't give it. But surrendered people are awed that God gives them anything at all. Start to feel the difference? Unconditional surrender is the linchpin. If you look back at the four leaps here, Give up, grow up, make up, help out. You understand, 
you will not grow up, make up, and help out until you give up. That's the start. That is the foundation. And, and I, what I have to do as a Christian, I have to make Jesus my Lord, unconditional surrender. And once I do that, guess what Jesus is going to lead me to do? Grow up, make up, help out. Of course he's going to lead me there. Now the problem is that many of us are trying to do Christianity, which means we're trying to grow up, make up, and help out without having really given up. We haven't done the first leap or the first three steps. Step three is the hinge. If you do step three, then God wills you to do the rest. Remember in step three, it says that we we surrender our life and our will to God. Right? So you've surrendered everything, and guess what God's going to lead you to do? Those things right there. The rest is details. Important details, but details nonetheless. It all hinges on that first leap of giving up. So what I'm saying to you guys today is this. Don't be a Caleb. Like, isn't that his son's name? Yeah. Don't be a Caleb. Don't be a Caleb. Uh, when Caleb was just a little guy, uh, maybe, uh, you know, he, I grew up wrestling with him. I was a wrestler through junior high and high school. And uh, so I grew up and I looked forward to wrestling with my son. We wrestled a ton. Now, I was a grown man and he was a five-year-old and I knew holds and he didn't. So I won, right? <laughs> I would put him in a hold and, uh, and I'd say, say, uncle. And he would respond, dad, a warrior never surrenders. Oh, yeah, that was fun when he became a teenager. Oh, so stubborn. I kid you not. He would never, never give up. He would be turning red. I'm begging him to say uncle. He starts turning blue. I'm like, I think this is borderline child abuse. Somebody's going to call CPS on me. I would have to let him go. He would never surrender. Don't be a Caleb. When it comes to your relationship with God, some of you just won't surrender. And there's two ways this goes. One of them is rebellion. Like it's so overt, it's like drunken orgies and you're a hot mess and we can tell it you're not surrendered. But the other way you cannot surrender is called religion. And my fear is that many in this room right now are not surrendered under the banner of polite religion. Don't be a Caleb. What does surrender look like? This made it clear to me when I heard this, that, that uh, you know how on your phone you've got apps and then in the background you've got your OS that runs everything, right? What many of us have done is we've downloaded the God app and we open it up on Sunday mornings and we run that app and we close it and we move on. We go to other apps, we run our life. God doesn't want to be an app on your phone. He wants to be your OS, That's giving up. That's surrender where you go to him and you say, God, everything will run to you and through you. You dictate everything else. You run the apps. You say which apps and which aren't on the phone. That's God running everything. That's surrender. So, hi. My name's Rick and I'm an addict to sin. There you go. But here's the good news. Listen to this. I'll end with this quote from the big book. It says, The great fact is just this and nothing less. That we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, 
and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. Whether you're an alcoholic or not, it is my hope and prayer today that many of you would simply give up. Surrender to God. Don't be a Caleb. Let it happen today. And if you make that decision, would you come up and, and interact with me? I'd love to have you sit down with one of our pastors or elders and start to dialogue about that. If you need help with that, come talk. I'm hoping many of you would give up today. For that, let me pray. Father in heaven, we come before you right now as a room of 100% broken, messy people. We carry different labels about what that brokenness and what that mess is, but we're all just broken and messy. And so, Father, we want to come before you and admit that we have done nothing to help. We could do nothing to help. We only mess it up. Our hope is no longer in ourselves. We today become wonderfully hopeless, except for a Savior. And we admit before you that only Savior is Jesus himself, who did for us what we could not do for ourselves, who reconciled us to you, our Father, and who frees us from sin. And I pray that each and every one in the hearing of my voice right now would give up, surrender to you unconditionally. And that would pave the way for the next three leaps. Have your way with us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.